This is No Love Live with Pastor Tim Warholic. Tim is the senior pastor of Paradise Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, Nevada. Let's commit this service to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, that we are gathered in your name. We are your disciples. We're here to follow you. We're here to hear from you, Lord. We pray, God, that uh, as you have brought Pastor Larry here to share with us, God, that you would speak through him. We thank you, Lord, for just the tremendous opportunity it was to hear from your word through the gospel of Matthew, and we look forward to what else you have to say. Pastor Larry Palmer, and the last thing, big update, I got a, um, I got a promotion. I'm now longer be known as Pastor Tim. I'm Apostle Tim. If you would if you'd please hold to that title, I'd appreciate it. We're blessed to have Pastor Larry and encouraged by the word today he has for us. Yeah, I felt it my duty to admonish during the last service that <clears throat> though the church has been given gifted people who are apostles and prophets and evangelists, we, we stay away from the titles. We stay away from the titles. All right, no badges. No badges. All right, good morning to you. Uh, my name's Larry, and uh, I get the opportunity to share with you this morning from the book of Ephesians, so grab your Bible turn to Ephesians, and uh, because it's, it's not often that I get a chance to, to speak with you, um, we need to start at the beginning. So for the next three and a half hours, I'll teach the first three chapters of the book, and then we'll move into the text for the day. I'm kidding, of course. <clears throat> Is this okay? I can hear a ringing. Okay. All right, I want to make sure the folks at home can hear. So in dealing with the book of Ephesians, we started out in the first three chapters dealing with the fact of who you are in Jesus. And this is really important to understanding what's happening in this book, is that the first chapter assures you that without any doubt, you contain and have for yourself Every spiritual blessing possible. You already got it. God isn't holding anything back. Now, you may be thinking to yourself, wow, I don't feel that way right now. But the fact of the matter is that Jesus Christ's work is done. There isn't still work for him to do in your life. You are saved. Your place is secure in heaven. And you can read some of the things that are there in that chapter you're predestined to adoption. You're uh, accepted in the beloved. You have redemption through his blood. You, 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 you have the mystery of his will made known to you. Uh, in him, we have obtained an inheritance. And those who first trusted are to the praise of his glory. So you read on about that and you discover, hey, as a Christian, as a saved individual, I am established in the kingdom of Jesus, and I'm blessed. It's automatic. You're in. 
and you got it all. So once you understand that, you might start to think, well, man, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to start working here. I got earning to do. I got to measure up. So in chapter two, we just lets the air right out of your balloon. You're, I'm going to be a better person balloon. Yeah, there's no air for that. Sorry. He says, for by grace, you have been saved in chapter through two through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, because you'll be ready to boast about it. That's the Larry Palmer version, right? Well, if you did good works, what would the first thing be that you would do? Tell somebody about it, right? That's going to be a problem. So we learn about our blessings. We learn about how we obtained our blessings. It's through grace alone. We learn that any good that is going to come out of us is going to come through the working of God in you. And as he works in you, out of you will come what Paul calls his workmanship. You'll be his poem is literally what the Greek word means. You'll be his poem. We know poetry is supposed to be beautiful. I'm not much into poetry, but you know, people tell me that it's really beautiful. So you're going to be in some measure really beautiful. And then in chapter 3, he talks about this amazing thing God has done. And this doesn't seem radical today, but it was in its time. What was so radical? It was that Jew and Gentile had been brought together in this new vehicle called the church. Something that was, you know, I mean, Jewish people thought, oh, this is no way, Jose. This ain't happening. And Gentile people are like, they're not going to have us in there. Because that's the way the Jewish world was at the time. It was very exclusive, but God broke down that wall of separation. He made from two, one new man, and boom, the church is born as a, as a, uh, a vehicle of unity to show the world that God's not about tribes and not about all that stuff. He's about bringing people together in who? Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focal point. So you get through those three chapters and you recognize that, okay, that's the theology upon which the church is invented, grounded, and made useful, right? That's the church moving forward theologically. But then in the last three chapters of the book, he will now tell us how to walk practically in that, right? So you can have theology over here. It's good stuff. It grounds us forces us to think about things, but then you have to actually walk in it, right? You, you, can, you can take the driver's exam, if you will, on paper, but then what do they make you do? You actually have to go drive, right? Sometimes that's a little harder than we thought, right? So in these coming chapters, then, it's time to drive in this thing called the church from theology now to practicality. It is, in fact, the blessed state in action. You're living in these, in these blessings. Now, what does it look like? How are we going forward? And Paul's going to make some very important and I think salient points for today as we walk in this thing. And the first thing he tells us in chapter 4, verse 1, is this. I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. The call to walk worthy. 
Now, right away in the back of your mind, what should be happening is, oh, that sounds like work. It sounds like I'm going to have to produce something here. I'm going to have to walk in a worthy way, and I'm so unworthy. Yes, let's get this straight from the outset. You are unworthy. You look just like me, right? Unworthy. So we get that out of the way, and we say, what does this actually mean? Well, the idea of walking worthy here is the idea of fitting the mold. You've been pressed into a new mold called being a Christian. Right? And so now, as a result of being a Christian, there is a walk that you're going to begin to walk, and God's going to help you do it, and it's going to be fitting. It's going to be the proper, <clears throat> excuse me, the proper representation. Our calling will now match our conduct. Those two things are going to flow together as you begin to walk with the Lord and you're praying and you're reading your Bible and the Holy Spirit is doing a work inside of you, you're going to begin to notice, and it may not happen all at once, but you're going to begin to notice if you're a Christian, you're going to start noticing the changes and you're going to start noticing that this just sort of flows out of you. You don't have to make it up or, or you know, make it work or whatever. Look what he says next. You're going to walk worthy with the calling which, with which you were called with some things. With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So this worthy walk in the church, it's going to look uh, very humble. It's not going to be you... Uh, being some big shot. It's not going to be you running the show. It's not going to be you telling other people what to do. It's not going to be about you. And I think this is what humility does. He says lowliness and gentleness. Those are both ideas that are contained in humility. Lowliness. I like to remind myself of lowliness in remembering that I am nothing without God. God is the one who made me what I am today, whatever that is, right? I'm saved, right? We, we know those blessings from the early part of the book. I have those. I'm saved. Apart from him, I wouldn't have any of that. Apart from him, I wouldn't have any ability. Apart from him, I would have nothing. Remember where you came from, who you are in terms of who Jesus is. We're nothing except for what Jesus did. So that's lowliness and gentleness. That just kind of brings you back to earth. And when you look around, if you look around the world or around the room or whatever, notice that there's nobody famous here. I mean, I'm standing on the stage and you might be saying, I've never heard of that guy before, right? Just another guy preaching the gospel. The only reason I'm standing up here is because God gifted me to do it. It's not because Larry showed up and God went, whoa, that guy's something else. We got to get him on a stage. <laughs> no, contrary. Um, he was like, well, there's Larry. <laughs> if I just gift him, maybe, maybe, right? So this calling of remembering who we are, just humility, and meekness is another portion of this here. This gentleness means meekness. It means you're not about asserting yourself. 
This isn't about you and I. It's about Jesus. That means we're not retaliatory. In fact, we're, as he says here, long-suffering. Long-suffering. It means putting up with someone over a long period of time under duress, right? It's not just, well, you know, I'm, I'm okay with them. You know, they're kind of irritating. But it's like if it's the most irritating person in your life, right? And they're sitting next to you in church. Now you've got to be long-suffering. Like it might be costing you something, right? You might be shaking, you know, thinking about, I can't put up with this person for one more minute. Now you get to be long-suffering, right? There is the element of suffering in that. I get it. But it's patient under long provocation. You know why? Because we are all sinners, man. We are all sinners. And if you, if you don't know that this morning, let me be the first to tell you that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's not all of this group or all of that group. That just happens to be all, right? God didn't have to, he wasn't sorting out groups, right? He was like, you guys all have a problem. And Jesus is the only solution. You must be born again. You must be saved to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's why we're, we're, it's not about self. We're all sinners. And so he says here, bearing with one another in love, bearing up under it, right? Loving one another anyway. Um, I got the opportunity right after the service to bear up with another Christian in love. They, they had some good advice for me for preaching. And this happens regularly. Somebody from the audience will want to help me be better. And I appreciate that. I truly do. But, you know, you got to bear up with that, right? you got to be willing to receive from other people. And that may be the most complex thing to do, right? If you think you know something and somebody else is trying to tell you something you think you know it, right? Bearing up with one another in love. Thank you, Jesus, that people care enough to try to help others, right, in the church. And we get to bear up under that, even if maybe we don't think we need that. We do these to keep the unity of the Spirit, he says. There is one, we're to, oh, wait, verse 3. Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Why are we doing this? We're endeavoring to do something. We're planning it out. We're going to do this. This is the way it's going to be done in the church. We are going to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit. It's a plan. We're going forward with that. It's not just, well, you know, we hope unity works out. You know, we're all here loving Jesus. We ought to at least try. No, we're endeavoring to do that. That's the plan going forward. And every one of us in our mind has to be thinking, I need to be willing to bear up with other people. I need to walk in unity with the other people in this room. And it doesn't matter what that cost is. I'm going to do it because that's God's plan for the church. And then we're bonded in peace. When you do those things, when these things become a part of your church attendance, you create a glue called the bond of peace. Just naturally, I don't come to church looking for a fight, do you? Why? Because there's peace here. We're just at peace with one another. 
We're all sinners. We've been saved by grace alone, through faith alone. I bring nothing extra to the table. I just get to come here and be at peace with you guys. And I'm, th- I'm, I'm thinking that right now with the world out there the way that it is, this is a pretty good place to be, sharing the peace of God with one another. Now, he says this, this emphasis on this humility and peace and so on, he wants to illustrate to us next that this is exactly what God's about. This oneness, this peace that's generated, this bond is generated, is similar to what God is. Look, he says in verse 4, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope, Jesus Christ, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Any questions remaining now about oneness in God? Right? I mean, how many times does he have to say one? Watch out when you're reading your Bible, when you see repeating words and repeating phrases like this, watch out for that because that's that's there on purpose. It's there to emphasize. It's like a... Uh, you know, exclamation point that says, hey, pay attention to this oneness. We are one in the church. Creed, color, background, uh, rich, poor, slave, free, none of that matters. We are one. There's no station in life. There's no position. We are all the same before Jesus Christ. One. He says, though, in verse 7, once establishing the theology, theology and the practicality of oneness. Now, let's not just whiz right by that here. He he's settled that as a fact in the church. And having done so now, he can build on it. He says this word, but there's diversity as well. There's diversity as well. But, <clears throat> verse 7, to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So to each one in this collective oneness has been dispensed in each one of you who is saved and believes in Jesus Christ, a gift of grace just dropped right in there. You got saved and you got a glob of grace, for lack of a better term. You got a portion of grace from God. And it was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So, I mean, he gave you the gift of salvation and the gift of all those blessings and an immeasurable gift of grace that you get to use, that you can utilize. It's like a tool. You just got a tool belt and there's one tool in it. Grace. That can be used all kinds of ways, right? It's like salt in your cooking. It has all kinds of uses particularly here, he says in verse 8, Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. So this is Psalm 68, and Paul cites that here to make his point. He says, look, each one has been given a gift, and here's what the Old Testament had to say about it. When Jesus, when the Messiah ascended on high, he led captivity captive. We were all captive to sin, and when Jesus rose from the grave, he led all of us captives to sin and death, captive to his grace. And he rose uh, to the 
to the, the heights of heaven and in the process gave gifts to men. And then he explains, if you're wondering about what this ascended means, he explains it. He says, now this ascended, what does it mean but that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. This is the process of Jesus coming to earth. Interestingly, that, that the, the lower parts of the earth, that term used in the Psalms meant the womb. The lower parts of the earth meant the womb. It was used that way in the, in the Psalms in, in, the, in sort of a weird musical sense. But Jesus came, was born, right? Born of the Virgin Mary. He lived a life. He died for our sins. He rose to heaven. And as a result of that exaltation, we have gifts. He has given to us gifts. Gifts to men. What gifts specifically? Verse 11 explains further. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Specifically, he dials in on four gifts here. Four or five if you, if you don't include the hyphen. But he, he's, he's being specific here about these gifts. If you look in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 11, there you will see an extended list of gifts, right? And those are the ones you should go look at. We're only going to talk about these four this morning, but you should go look at those other gifts because you should be saying, what glob of grace did I get, right? What, what's, what's for me? And, you know, it could be all kinds of things. Over the years, um, when I was pastoring at Calvary Chapel of Henderson, we needed a bass player and we didn't have one. And so I grabbed a bass and I was like, God, is this, can I do this thing? And so I plunked around with it for a while and it started happening. Pretty soon I was on the worship team helping out because we didn't have a bass player. And then we didn't have a drummer. And I'm like, okay, God, what do you think about this one? Well, it turned out I could do that too. I had a musical gift. What about you, right? Look, look in there this evening, this afternoon, if you get some time. And well, not if you get some time. Look, just look. See what's there. See what God might be doing for you. Maybe it's picking up something and saying, Lord, is this me? Could I do this, right? But in this text, he gives us these four or five positions that Christ gave for his church. And we'll see in a few scriptures why he gave them. But he gave some to be apostles. So, what is an apostle, right? Because we don't really, uh, this was I was kidding about with Tim earlier. You know, apostles in the New Testament sense were folks who went and planted churches. Paul went to different places, planted churches, left leadership there, and went on to the next, the next uh, place. So that's why I was telling Tim, Tim, I know you're a church planter, but we're not going to call you apostle, Tim just not going to happen, right? We don't need those titles. These aren't there for titles. They're there for work descriptions, right? They're uh, standard operating procedures, if you will, for the servants who are supposed to carry them out. So we think of apostles today as church planners, people who are creating a foundation for the church. Paul went and planted all these churches, then he went back and made sure everybody was doing okay 
And so you have that gift that was given. The next one is prophets. Two kinds of prophets in the New Testament. You have prophets that are foretelling the future. Some prophets do that. Others foretell the word of God. That's what I'm doing to you today. I'm foretelling the word of God, speaking into what's happening in our lives today. The next one there, the gift that is given is evangelist. So you just saw that thing up here earlier about folks going to the strip and going to uh, the park to tell people about Jesus. Hey, look, not everybody's cut out for that. But some people are. They got no problem doing it. I tried this early in my Christian walk. You know, there was this guy in the church, and I was like, okay, man, I'm saved now. We got to go out there and save the world. Right? I was all on fire and everything. Got out there. We were on in Visalia, California. We were on Mooney Boulevard. If you know anything about that place, uh, the cruise happens on Friday night, right? Everybody goes down to Mooney Boulevard and cruises up and down. So here we go. We got tracks. We're going out there. That was the first time I ever got spit on for the gospel was there. So, you know, I don't know if evangelism was really my thing. Maybe I got spit on because I deserved it. I like to think that I got spit on because I told somebody the truth and they didn't like it, right? But hey, some people are called to go out there and do that. Praise God. We need them. I'm thinking of Billy Graham, right? There's a guy that evangelized a lot of people. And then finally on the list, the pastor or pastor teacher, if you like the hyphen there, uh, separate or together, they're a shepherd, they're a guide, a caretaker, a watchman, and one who feeds, right? So that's another thing that I did for a lot of years at Calvary Henderson was, was feeding the flock of God week in and week out, watching out for him, you know, see somebody in trouble, hey, I'm going to get my crook here and get you back in the fold because I care about you, right? want you to be doing the right thing and, and uh, helping you when necessary, admonishing you, those kind of things. So the, God has given, through the grace of Christ, these specific gifts to this end. So you can look at verse 12 now. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So that's why these four or five gifts were given. They were given specifically so that you are built up regularly. And that's why we have such an emphasis on the teaching of the Word of God in Calvary Chapel. It's a, just I have hammered away on it for 20 years. We teach the Bible because that's what God wants us to know. He doesn't want to know Larry's opinion on the Bible. He wants me to tell you what His Word actually says it's for the edifying of the body of the of the body of christ to make sure you're equipped so that when you go out of here and go into that crazy place called the world tomorrow morning to go to work or whatever it is you're going to do you have something in your tool pouch that you can use tomorrow morning to say you know what man the guy harped on me for half an hour yesterday about being lowly and meek and I'm going to take that, those two screwdrivers of lowliness and meekness. You wonder why I'm talking about pouches and tools? I'm an electrician by trade, right? So for me, that's just, hey, you need the right tool for the job, right? So you have these two screwdrivers called meekness and lowliness. How are you going to use those tomorrow? Not to stab people, <laughs> right? How am I going to use those tomorrow 
to, to make it happen, right? You're being equipped for that right now. Till we come to the unity of faith. Look, here's the time frame for these gifts that are given and how long they're supposed to operate till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a complete or perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This is the church's job until Jesus comes back. And it's your job and my job as members of the church to grow. We're supposed to grow. We're supposed to be equipped and we're supposed to grow. Why? Verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. Look, this is the part in the message where we talk about the fact that the church has an enemy. And it's the mind of man, and animated, if you will, by Satan himself. It's, it's not just, well, you go, you know, you sort of need to grow up because, you know, it's tough out there. It's not just tough out there. You got a target on your back. You take what this book says and go out there in the world and start proclaiming it to people. You better get ready. Everybody isn't going to walk up and you go, oh, that's such a nice message. You know, I get that in the church. You know, people are real appreciative about the, the ministry, you know, uh, of the word. And they come up after the service and say, oh, Pastor Lee, that was so good. Well, you take that and out and start telling people the truth in the world. It's not going to go so well. You say, and there's people out there who are actually your enemy. Not only do they not want to hear what you have to say, but they want to stop you from saying it. And they'll trick you. So, so one of uh, you know one of Satan's loved, most loved ploys is to trick Christians into believing something is true that's a lie. He loves doing that. And so we know there's the trickery of men animated by Satan. Uh, they're cunning. They're crafty, and they plot against the church. So we teach the Word of God, and we hammer away on. Why? Because that's what you need to not be tossed around. And I love this picture of being tossed around. It's like a little boat on a stormy sea. He says, rather, verse 15, speaking the truth in love that this body may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth. There's that word growth that I talked about earlier. Causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. So we speak the truth from the scriptures. We do it in love. You notice how I'm not beating up on you right now, telling you you must do this and you must do that. I'm loving you, lovingly telling you what the truth is. Right? I care about you. It's the reason I'm here, is to tell you what this book says so that you know it and you won't be tossed around. And, but rather, it'll join us together and this part and this part and this part will be effectively working together. And as we do that, we grow. We grow. Let's talk about that a little bit. In this idea of lowliness, 
and gentleness. I can't think of a time when these two traits that we're supposed to embrace in the church and do regularly in the church are more needed. There's not a lot of lowliness and gentleness going on out there in the world right now. It's rough. It's really rough. The world is, is it's seemingly literally and figuratively on fire. If it's not the fires in California or the riots here or this bad political news or that bad political enemy or whatever, it just seems like, how, is anybody else suffering from crisis fatigue? I'm just, I'm out of it, man, I'm done. Like it just, Lord, if it could be possible, could we just bypass the rest of this and take us on home, right? Uh, but, I, and then he always says to me, Larry, really? There's a lot of work to be done. So we carry on, right? But I'm thinking about attitudes today when I talk about lowliness and gentleness. I can't think of a time any more demanding than right now that, that we should be focused on that because the world outside is focused on getting what they want at any price. I mean, is, is people politically willing to say anything, even if they're lying? And it doesn't matter what side it is. Even if they're lying, they're willing to say anything politically, right, to get what they want. Or in the case of rioting, people rioting in the name of good, destroying people's property to get what they want. I remember one, one lady was, uh, was very upset, and they were interviewing her, and they were, she, they were talking about how angry she was. And she said, I'm angry, and I don't want to be unangry. I want to be angry, and I just want to let it all out. And I was thinking about that, thinking, you know that that kind of anger is a form of madness. Uncontrolled anger. That's not, there's no place for that in the church, surely. And so we are going to, as we uh, enjoy the bond of peace with one another, that's going to start to spill over at work. I hope it's tomorrow at work that that bond of peace that you're experiencing here is going to begin to spill over to those folks and that you're going to be able to have conversations in a humble way, right? I, so here, I was reading, I read a lot about the founding fathers, studied a lot of early American history over the years. I was always really interested in the way George Washington reacted to certain things. And there was this discussion early on after Washington became the president about what his title was going to be. And there were some folks that were, you know, look, you know, we're a fledgling nation. We really got to do something to hear that sounds big. So we're thinking, George, we ought to call you His Majesty. Now, wait a minute. We just threw those guys out. And now they're trying to go back to doing something else here. And Washington said to him, you know, I think Mr. President will be just fine. And so you get a picture. That's a window into what we're talking about. Now, I know um, there, there's much talk of the sins of our forefathers, and I'm not here to be a, an apologist for them. But I, I keep this in my mind, folks, when I think about people in the past. And I, I try to 
point it back at myself. It's real easy for us to point at people in the past and say this person or that person or the other person was a horrible person. But I would suggest to you that you th if you think you would have done better, then you still have much to learn about humanity. We can't judge the past by the knowledge of today. It just doesn't work. My point in all of that is bearing with one another in love and making sure we ourselves are humble, that we ourselves are living that kind of life, that we're walking worthy. Another thing that I see in this text that's really important for today is this idea that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried with every wind of doctrine. The, the culture is trying to tell the church what it should think and believe. It's always been that way. It's going to continue to be that way. And so we continue to hammer away at the word of God to make sure that we can resist the devil and he'll flee from us. The culture sometimes they get it right. I'll give them credit. You know, somewhere along the line, they got some biblical doctrine in their head and they started spouting it out. We're like, yeah, that's in the Bible. I've heard that. I can agree with you there, right? No problem on that one. But then there's other times when stuff that's being said is not okay. The Bible doesn't agree with it. And all of a sudden we find ourselves out of season instead of in season. All of a sudden, we're not agreeing with the culture anymore. We're disagreeing with the culture. And of course, we're the ones who are bigoted or idiots or whatever it is. Why? Because we stick to the Word of God. Why do we stick to the Word of God? Larry, can't you just bend it a little bit? No. Why can't we bend it? Because that would be abandoning the very truth we claim to be truth. I have often said, look, when you don't know what the truth is, grab your truth manual. Here it is. You got a copy in multiple languages. Pick one, right? It's your truth manual, and it tells you what God says about his creation and about what he's done and what he requires of us. As I said, that the world today is pushing upon us uh, their own ideas and beliefs, and hence Paul here saying, look, the church has to grow. You've got to grow. You can't get idle. You can't just say, well, you know, I'm kind of far enough here. You know, I don't think I need to grow anymore. Yeah, you do, because the challenges are coming at us faster and faster, right? It seems like every day it's some new thing, doctrine, or idea, and it's trying to get us to be tossed about like this boat on a stormy sea, and so that all of a sudden we're in fear of being swamped. If you know what the Word of God is, you don't have to worry about being swamped. It's, a, it's a interesting, some of the things that, that come forward in organizations today, and there's lots of them who have websites with things that they believe on them. And, and you know, you really honestly, you hear about a, an, an influential group or organization or whatever, and they're saying things to the culture about how things should be. I encourage you, Go look at their websites and read what they believe because the devil's in the details, right? They can sound good and they can actually sound like they're doing good things, but then you go and you read in the fine print. One recent organization, um, they wanted to destroy or disturb the Western nuclear family. And I'm like, the Western nuclear family? 
think so I did a little research on that kind of that kind of thinking and those kinds of ideas. And it, it turns out that they don't want the mom and dad and kids model, right? As if there's some other model to choose from. I was like, well, we'll just have other models. No. God says that he created male and female. God placed the father in the family as the leader. God placed the mother to come alongside and for them to raise their children. The Western nuclear family is God's design. So should it surprise you that somewhere in the culture there's an attack on that? Nope. No surprise. But that's the, when you start looking around, you start reading, you start realizing, hey, wait a minute. That's not biblical. Busted. Right? That's what you're trying to do, is you're trying to make sure that you don't get tossed around. There's a story of this guy, this parish priest in New York. And look, I'm not down on Catholics, so let's not go there. He, he you know, because I know a lot of saved Catholics. So, right? Hey, just that's the way it is. I know a lot of churches with unsaved people in them, so let's not go there. But think about it this way. This fellow decided that he wanted his congregation to make, start making pledges, not financial ones, but verbal ones. And so he gave them these pledges to say during the service because he wanted to change their behavior. He wanted them to do certain things. And, 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 then, and then he asked the ALC, ACLU to come in and teach a class on these things to about equality and other stuff like that. And I, I thought as I was reading the article, hey, this guy's trying to do a good thing, but he grabbed a wrench instead of a screwdriver to do it. He's using an organization outside of the church to try to affect change in his church, and I wanted to call him on the phone and say, I got your change. I got it right here. You want to change your congregation? Start preaching the Bible to them. I feel bad for the guy because I feel like he has all the answers and he's asking the wrong person the wrong questions. I know a lot of talk in our society about racism right now. Racism is easy for me. We are of one blood every nation. We all come from Adam. There is no difference in the color of someone's skin period. We all come from the same place pre created by God from Adam and Eve and therefore we are all created in the image of God. This is why it's so important. Every person born on the planet is created in the image of God and therefore that life is important. Why do you think we get so ticked off about abortion? Because that child Red, yellow, black, white. That child is created in the image of God and therefore has intrinsic value apart from what anybody else thinks. That's why we get so upset about it. That's why for us in the church, racism, it's a non-issue. It's an issue in the world because they don't understand the origin. We do. And so we get to live in the bond of peace. The bond of peace because we know we're all valuable. These are the examples of doctrines of men toss, trying to toss the church around. We're called to grow in the Word, to be ready to give the Bible's answer, not Larry's answer or that organization's answer or whatever, but the Bible's answer. 
Why is it the Bible's answer so important? Because without that, you don't have the truth. You have the doctrines of men and maybe of demons. Thank God for men like Tim and Sean who are willing to stand and do so. We need them. We need others. There are other guys in the valleys. I could name a bunch of names of men who are out there doing what we're doing here this morning, teaching the Word of God. And we go from these theological foundations into this practical walking in everyday life. This is the blessed state in action. This is just what we do because we're Christians. We embrace the Word of God and we go forward to tell the world the truth. So walk worthy. Worthy of this calling. Let the Holy Spirit work in you and change you from the inside out so that this worthy walk flows out of you to be unified, gifted, busy, patient, loving, and growing. That's the call to, from the Bible to us today. This is your walk. Welcome to it, right? Enjoy. It's God working in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we think about these things this morning, and, and, and Lord, my emphasis on your word, thank you, God, for your word. Lord, I wouldn't be able to stand up here and be so sure if it wasn't your word. And so we glorify you this morning. We thank you for the word of God, which is the way, the truth, and the life found in Jesus Christ. We don't have to worry about winds of doctrine. We have the doctrine. Lord, thank you for the strength to know that and the strength that that brings to us. And God, I pray for each person in here as they go out into the world tomorrow morning and even this afternoon, that they be processing everything through your word, that they be looking for the answers in your word, and that, Lord, you'd protect our minds from a world that wants to trick us into believing that someone besides you has the answers. We thank you, God. We ask that you'd strengthen us to this end now. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh